I think I'd hug you now. Yeah. I, I would gauge the mood and then go for a hug or handshake. Depends <laughs> who else was around. Yeah. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Henry. Uh, hello, Henry. Hello, <laughs> hello Henry. <laughs> it's a Hoover, isn't it? Yes. Aha. You've probably had that a few times. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> How did you meet me? I met you through your advert for Apples for Everyone, the band that I joined. And I think it was a surprise to you when I turned up at a rehearsal. How do you mean? Because I hadn't told you I was coming. Ah, and yes, that's right. You sort of told me off for coming without telling you that. Did I really? A little bit. Really? Yeah, because you couldn't understand that lack of a foresight or organisation. And Well, that's like terrible. That. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you more in a way that you were surprised rather than annoyed. Okay. Well, you weren't annoyed at all, you were delighted. Yeah, Somebody I bet. Else cause had, had come along because it was only you, me, and George at that rehearsal. Yeah. No, it wasn't your first rehearsal, was it? No, no, the, the band. At the, in the early days, it was like potluck. You wouldn't know how many people would turn up and who they'd be. Mm. Um, and in your case, you didn't even know they were coming. I'm sorry to have uh, told mm. you off the first time I met you, but uh, not surprised. What do you do now? What do I do now mm. as a job? Interpret it however you like. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Londoner, and as a job, I, uh, I guess that's how I see myself as a Londoner. I don't want to be any more specific. You will get into that later. But as a job, I do um, visual effects. I'm a compositor. You're a compositor? Yeah. I'm actually... No, I used to be a compositor. I have been a compositor for a long time, and I'm now the, the head of 2D. Ooh. The head of 2D? That's a small effects company. Mm. And 2D and compositing is for CGI, yeah? Computer-generated imagery, yes. Yes. Correct. Currently for television? No, the first big project I did with my new company that I joined in uh, November last year was... Uh, was for television but that has finished and we're now back to working on movies and who what was that television show if you don't mind me asking that was game of thrones uh, i say it i say it again because nobody ever gets it first time game of <laughs> thrones it's a very popular show surely people must be more familiar with it now your, your listeners probably are but my family aren't <laughs> I can, I can see how that might happen. And I remember watching Sweeney Todd and waiting to see your name in the uh, credits. Mm. Me and my girlfriend had to pause it and rewind it back. But there it was. That's very cool. I love those stories. It was good. Mm. Like, I don't know why I cared so much in hindsight, mm. but it was very exciting at the time. Just to see, oh, look, someone you know can have, have some kind of route into this big Hollywood film. Yeah, yeah. In fact, funnily enough, that's a lot of the people that I worked with on that film are now working with me at my new place. Oh, cool. What was it like seeing your name on a film titles sequence? I think the first one I ever saw it on was Mike Bassett, England manager. Oh, dear. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. I do, with oh, Ricky Tomlinson. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it wasn't... We all knew it was a shit film, so it wasn't the most amazing thing ever to see your name at the end of it, but it was, it was still pretty exciting. The first big one was probably... Um, Harry Potter 3 oh the one directed by I don't by think I got my name I worked on 2 but I don't think I got my name on it and then I had my name on the third one that was directed by the guy Al that did Alfonso uh, yeah. Cuaron that's right he yeah. did uh, City of uh, no Children of Men yeah which I, I like that film very much so what does what is CGI like what it, like it's a, it seems like a very vague term doesn't it computer generated images I mean mm -hmm. what is it practically it's lots of things from magazine adverts to Hollywood films and everything in between via television and computer games and so it's a very wide term that doesn't really describe what I do very well because I, I would I wouldn't say I do CGI I would say I do visual effects for for film and television okay what does that mean in terms of what you do I operate a piece of software called nuke used to be called shake I mean I used to operate something called shake and then there was a completely different piece of software called nuke which has taken over about four years ago in the industry and they are both like a sort of moving version of Photoshop 
So if they film something and either they want to correct something that was a mistake, we can do that. That's the sort of Photoshop analogy where, you know, someone's got a nasty spot on the end of their nose and we can rub that out. Or they accidentally film a, a modern lamppost in a historical epic, we can take that out. Or Jackie Chan has a wire coming out of his back when he does a kung fu kick and we can take that out. That sort of stuff we do a lot of. And that's all purely 2D stuff, which actually doesn't involve any computer-generated imagery, okay. which is why I'm uncomfortable that anyone describes my job as doing CGI. So you just you <coughs> draw straight onto it, onto the film sort of thing? Uh, yeah. Like freehand? Well, I mean, you know what Photoshop is, and it's yeah. literally Photoshopped frame by frame for a movie or, or TV or something. Do you use a mouse, though, or do you use one of those screens where you can draw on straight to the screen? I prefer to use a mouse, but when I was starting out, you do something called rotoscoping, which is where you draw edges around people's outlines when they're on a background that isn't, for example, a green screen or a blue screen. Okay. So that you need to lift them off the background and then put them into another environment. And that's better by and hand. The grunt work of actually drawing the edges around people is done by junior people in the, in the industry. Okay. And for that sort of stuff, I didn't like using a mouse. I liked to use a pen or a Wacom tablet. Okay. Or just a tablet. Wacom is like a, a Hoover brand name. And so, like with Photoshop, I guess... Would you be improving sometimes the way that people look? Yes, controversially sometimes. We often have to do stuff like that. I think uh, Potter, all the way through, they had spotty skin and they wanted that cleaned up, which I got into an argument with somebody in a pub once because they accused me of being part of the machine that gives ends up giving teenagers anorexia and everything because you make this... You make this sort of ideal for them to live up to that isn't even real, so they can't live up to it, so they kill themselves. Do you feel that's a fair point? No. In a film like Potter, it's more about continuity, because uh, it does take the viewer out of the film if, in the same conversation, somebody has different spots on their face. Yeah, absolutely. And that's more what that was about in that film. But um, I've done one thing that I felt was morally wrong but equally um, I was in no way in a position to stand up and say something which was I don't remember the name of the film but it was it was Summer Phoenix River Phoenix's sister okay sister, yeah or yeah. Joachim Phoenix's probably younger sister as well and she had a body double for a scene where she had to run along a beach naked from behind and her body double was especially chosen to look like her from behind and everything and then we got the footage in of the body double from behind and we had to make her bum smaller. Okay. And I was like, that's not right. Partly because you should have, if you wanted a smaller bum, you should have chosen the right body double. The yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. A, a mis- you're correcting a mistake that they should have seen in advance. Well, that happens all the time, but I guess <laughs> I don't know whether it came from Summer Phoenix herself because maybe they did choose the right body double in their minds and then she objected and said, it makes it look like I've got a bigger bum. Yeah, could be. Not saying it is that. It I could be, but it's probably, yeah, I mean, it's probably, probably not. not. It's probably yeah. the producers just looking at it and saying, you need a smaller and bum. I think I asked a couple of people who used to be in the band with you and me. Well, they were, they were asking for you. They were clamouring for you on the show because they wanted to know about CGI. And uh, and I think Jack said he wanted to know about examples of times you've had to remove wrinkles or increase package size, etc. And who the relevant actors were. So I think we've kind of covered that one a bit there. But is there any more? Yeah, recently we had one on Game of Thrones that came in. And we didn't actually end up doing it because of scheduling reasons. We ended up being busy when when these two shots were coming through. So have you seen... I haven't seen it. I quite want to see it, though. I've heard good things about it. There's a character called Hodor, because he's a simpleton and all he says is Hodor. And he's only in there as, like, he gives... uh, There's a young boy who's got crippled legs and he gives him a ride around on his shoulders the whole time. Yeah. And he turns up in one scene um, when he's been bathing or swimming out in in the lake or something. And some girl has come up to talk to this young kid that he gives a ride around to his on his shoulders and he comes out of the bushes and they're talking and he's completely naked but he's got a towel with him and they gave him a prosthetic penis Um, and this is exactly the same as the last example 
really, because so they must have spent a long time thinking about how big to make the prosthetic penis. Yeah. Because it's quite a big investment of money and time to build a prosthetic penis as a one-off for somebody that fits them and everything and goes on and looks like it's real and everything. So the shot looked great, but his penis actually nearly reached his knees. <laughs> and uh, it came back and they were saying, everyone just keeps laughing when they see it. It's, it's meant to be like shockingly big, but not stupidly funny because it's obviously fake. So they had crossed that line into obviously fake and not just shockingly big. So we had to digitally, um, well, we didn't actually end up doing it, but we had to bid for making it smaller. And it was actually quite a, quite a tricky job. What, to um, make a penis smaller? Some people can achieve it quite easily. Because it was swinging around and casting shadows uh, and everything, and that's the tricky part. Ah, so yeah. that, yeah, so it's not just the obvious thing mm. that you have to correct, you have to correct everything else around it, or else you can see it. Exactly. Now, a thing that people say about CGI is you can see it, and it annoys them. Now, is that just bad CGI? <clears throat> no, it isn't, because most CGI that people will talk to you about that they know is CGI it's stuff like dragons and hippogriffs you know it's fake the instant you see it on screen so that means that you see the you, you're bringing to it the fact that it's constructed yeah but if, um, it was, if it was a model you don't see that have that relationship to it though when you see something that's actually physical you kind of respond to it in a different way don't you I think I mean that's the kind of I think that's the thrust of because George asked, is CGI better than models and puppets? It can be, but it's very expensive. Yeah. CGI is um, very expensive. We did we did Wallace and Gromit, the movie. Yeah. And since then, Aardman have opened up their own USA CGI division because they realised how useful it was. And we did a lot of stuff on that, including building our own bunny rabbits in that scene where, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but where they hoover up the bunny rabbits and then they're all going around and they're getting brainwashed. And the bunny rabbits had to look like they were plasticine bunny rabbits for him and the rest of the film. So we were adding thumbprints and fingerprints in and everything. And on top of that, so that was the main job we did, but on top of that they just sent us loads of other shots where they wanted their own animation just cleaned up because it was either the, the animation was slightly off or you could see too many thumbprints and it took you out of the movie if you noticed too much. But it was a real fine balance between being of Hollywood calibre and like extremely well done stop frame animation and between uh, anything you see something that's too homemade, it sort of takes you out of the film experience. Okay. So a huge mix of stuff. And that, that happens all the time, like with, what was that recent one, Werewolf movie? With Anthony Hopkins and... It's called Werewolf, wasn't it, or something like that? Wolfman. Wolfman, Wolfman yeah. yeah. So that was incredible. They did. They got Rick Baker to do the the famous Rick Baker who did the original American Oh, Werewolf, that's right, I heard that. Uh, transformations. And um, so they, they thought he would be the, guy, the go-to guy. And he advised... The, the idea was, I think, that he was going to do the practical effects and that would be it. And as the movie went on and then got released and came out and... Uh, the story got changed a bit that he was brought on as a consultant not, I don't think that's really true I thought he was brought on to do the effects and then you know they sort of realised that in the end if they just spend the same amount of money as paying Rick Baker to do it they could get these amazing effects I do think in the end though audiences do like do prefer real stuff so is that I mean do you think how do you think CGI should be used because I think it is a good tool. I'm not one of these. I think anti- every single every single film you see these days has CGI in yeah. it, and you just don't know. Exactly. Um, so that means it's successful. Especially historical stuff where you don't have monsters and aeroplanes, uh, spaceships, and stuff. When it's buildings, a lot of the time they put buildings in, don't they? Or mm. you put buildings in, and uh, people never realise that that stuff CGI. Yeah. Um, often. Well, what we do at my new place, it's a fairly small company, we do sort of specialise in set extensions. So on Game of Thrones, a lot of the stuff we did, they filmed at a, the Winterfell set, was a sort of courtyard and island that was the right sort of feel and everything, and they dressed it amazingly, so it had all this sort of chickens running about and straw and shit all over the place. But it wasn't a castle, and we topped it up, because it was just a sort of old stone courtyard. 
but we topped it up with castle type towers and that sort of stuff you just you would never realize that was fake yeah, that's right. I mean, the funny thing I always remember about Game of Thrones is that around, before, while they were in pre-production, there was these adverts in Ireland for as many people without legs and arms for their fighting scenes as possible. I guess that you had to then draw things on and then have them hacked off and stuff. Did you have to do the gory stuff? Mm-hmm. Or have you avoided that? Or Well, that's the cheap way to do it. Give them a fake leg and then hack it off and have some blood come out. Probably looks more That would be special effects, yeah. not, not visual effects. You'd come in if it didn't. Special look effects good. is anything that's done before it goes into the camera, and visual effects is everything that's done afterwards. So you generally. rarely have to do anything gory, or no? We do the other way around. When you want a famous act and you want their legs to get chopped off, you yeah. like famously in Forrest Gump, the uh, Vietnam vet. I can't remember his name, but famous actor goes around in a wheelchair. Oh he had yes, legs, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they took his legs off in 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 post. Gary Sinise, isn't it? Or something? I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I guess Forrest Gump was quite an early film to have CGI in, wasn't it? It had all of those meeting JFK scenes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that stuff worked well. It was quite big stuff. Like that Weezer video is my favourite with uh, Happy Days, where they're the house band in the... Oh, in Happy Days. Happy Days Diner. Ah, yes, I do remember that one. That was the kind of thing that got me wanting to do CGI in the first place. Really? To create these totally unreal cool scenes. You got inspired to do CGI by... By music videos, I think. Yeah. More than films, probably. I, in fact, when I was, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to do computer game graphics, and then uh, through school I sort of forgot about that and thought I'd like to be either just a, a straight artist or you know an architect or something. Because um, you studied architecture. I studied architecture at university. Didn't. I'd always been quite interested in it, but didn't feel like I was either very good at it or actually interested enough in it to, to do it as a job, having studied it. Yeah, I guess I was, when I got into doing effects, I was probably thinking more about doing cool music videos. Are you happy to... I don't to, think that's unusual. Are you happy to be doing TV, though, or and film? Um, I've only ever done one TV series, so... Yeah. All right, I'll let's stop, get, I'll stop picking up the straight, uh, TV yeah. thing. I do film. Because film is definitely considered, you know, higher end than TV. And do you consider it higher end then? Yeah. Yeah. Although, not anymore really. It's not... I think TV is um, more exciting these budget. days than film. Mm. As a, well, as a writer, I prefer to write something longer. But there used to be a technical difference between doing film and TV. That film would be done as a much bigger resolution which would just mean you needed better, much more expensive equipment and it would take longer and you needed a bigger budget and everything. And uh, TV was about a quarter of the resources needed to do it. Still, yeah, there, I mean, there's still less budget in TV. but There's still less budget, but now, um, the last film I did before doing this TV show, Game of Thrones, and then moving on to Game of Thrones, they actually ended up being the same, shot at the same resolution so in fact no different so for you for you guys yeah yeah Yeah. well it's a good in a a way it's a very good thing because it means that people can more more people can make films yeah i guess there's always this question about losing quality but that's why yeah that's why people think you can see cgi because you do get a lot of it done on the cheap and in stargate and (laughs) 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 that sort of stuff yeah i i was dissatisfied with the last season of Buffy because they went oh we've got CGI we can use CGI and I think it's noticeable and it wasn't noticeable before and also because of the rest of the series hadn't used CGI as much when it was even more noticeable Mm. Doctor Who too that's an interesting one yeah that's right because they're using a lot of CGI in the new one Um, and some of it is good but some of it isn't I mean that it's totally different to the sort of TV that we were doing. They've got really tight deadlines, much less time than we have to do, had to do stuff. So you started off playing computer games, or no, wanting to make computer games. Did you Did you play computer games? Yeah, on the Spectrum and Amiga. Ah, good. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. I like, I'm a big fan of the Spectrum. Shadow of the Beast is the one that I remember as being, it wasn't a good game, but I remember being blown away by the graphics oh, on it cool. at the time and thinking I would love to do graphics like that. And that would have been all like yeah, I'd really like to see, to see that again, probably, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I'm a big fan of Spectrum. So, and then you... So you Shadow of the Beast was an Amiga game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's a fair and uh, correct point to uh, to make. 
you went to a boys' school, didn't you? Um, yes. Was that secondary school only, or was that all the way up? No, primary as well, yeah. So you only so ever, like... I think like my nursery school was mixed. <laughs> mixed nursery? <laughs> up until about five or... Five, yeah, I guess five or six. I mean, it's hard to, to answer this question, because you went to boys' school all the way mm. through. But, I mean... Do you think that that's had a, a difference in the way that you engage with the world to the way definitely, that... Definitely, I mean, it must have, definitely, yeah. I mean, I... I couldn't I, describe how, though. Well, I was in, it's interesting, I was interviewing somebody yesterday, and they'd been to boys' school, and they were they felt they had kind of stunted their development because mm. they hadn't had any exposure to women, and so they didn't understand that women were the, the same as men in some ways, mm. so they idealised them. Yeah. Do you think that that you uh, idealised women through your boarding school, sort of? Uh, not boarding. Was it boarding school? Yeah, it was. It was boys' the secondary boarding school. school. Was boarding the, my my first school wasn't. Um, were there women teachers? Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. So there, there were even women. some girls at the school because masters were allowed to send their daughters for free yeah. to the school. And you had a sister as well. So that that yes, and that I had a sister, means you know and I've got quite a lot of cousins, a lot of your girls. So it's not as if I grew up in a complete vacuum of girls my own age, but it is a little bit like that, and I do think that's a bad thing. But I think I did. I mean, I'm 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 gay. <laughs> I only stutter because, uh, not because I'm embarrassed, but because we, we already talked yeah, about this and I know, we were, whether I know. or not we were going to bring it up. Yeah, I know uh, you're gay, but, and so it's always weird when you tell mm. somebody who already knows something, um, something. Exactly. So, I don't think I got any... Um, what I was going to say is that uh, at school, I think a lot of boys did um, find it easier to concentrate on their studies. <laughs> because uh, there weren't girls there. But you, it was the opposite problem. There were lots of boys. No, not at all, not at all. Because, for a different reason though, but because I, there was no option of being out at school. Of course not, yeah, God. There was actually, but not for me, I felt. Okay. There were a couple of people who were flamboyantly gay who couldn't, couldn't keep it under wraps, as it were. And did they have a hard time, do you think? Um, yes and no. I think they did very well and actually very brave to yeah, go through that really brave. Um, and I think they found it quite stressful but they never showed it generally and and, and so I mean I, the idea of a boys school horrifies me a little bit personally because I just I think so many men all of that kind of masculine hierarchy stuff scares me and I'm not gay but I am not always typically heterosexual mm. and so I talk about my feelings more than a lot of men both uh, some gay and straight uh, men find it hard to talk about their feelings all the time I, I think that wouldn't go down very well in a boys school did you find similar problems with the all-male environment no I think whatever school I'd been at I would have still been a teenager and that would have been the main thing and I think I might well have been exactly the same having gone to a mixed school that I might have still felt I, that I couldn't have come out just because I wasn't confident enough at that age. When I when I was at school, sorry, you were going to say something. No, you know, okay. okay. Well, I would have done eventually. Okay, sorry, I should have left more it's up of a you pause. Right. <laughs> but when I was at school, I found as a teenager it very frustrating because yeah. there were all of these women about, and I fancied a lot of them and. Uh, None of, them fancy, none of them fancied me, them, yeah. exactly, and it wasn't, mm. I wasn't very good at getting them interested in me and I was mm. a bit too intense about it, I think. For you, you would have had all no, of these... No, but I tried with girls just because it was, you know, at that age you don't know if, if your interest in guys is a passing thing. Okay. As a lot of books and people will tell you, it's a phase, you know, and at that age you... Well, I, I wouldn't speak for everyone, but I was sort of hoping it was a phase and that I would start fancying girls properly sooner or later. And I do remember thinking, like, definitely being able to say, like, oh, this girl is much more attractive than this girl. You know, so I would sort of try it on with girls at parties and burn, burn up horribly trying it. It was, oh, lots of embarrassing, very embarrassing times. Really? Yeah. 
And I don't know what I would have done if I'd been successful. That's the scariest thing. When I came out and I started being more self-confident, suddenly girls started trying it on with me. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm glad I never <laughs> got you, anywhere before. Are you slightly repelled by the idea of doing anything sexual with a girl? No, I think that's too strong. Okay. To say repelled. No, I mean I was I was groping for the right word. To, to, I mean it's something I've, I've, I've a lot of gay people I've met have had this kind of, ooh, I don't really yeah. want to go there sort of thing. So to sound a bit American about it, um, and I think a lot of men have the same thing. Like they're not necessarily homophobic, but they're like, yeah. I don't really want to. I th- no, I think whatever that feeling is, it might not be repelled, but I think I've got the exact same feeling yeah. in reverse. I think yeah. it's interesting that it, yeah. it, whatever gender you're attracted to, the other one is slightly uh, alien to you. Yeah. In a different kind of way than, yeah. More than alien, isn't it? It's, well, it, no, yeah, alien. It's like scary. Yeah. It's actually, if you're being chatted up by somebody who's coming on to you quite strongly and you're not at all interested in fact I think it can be the same sex like if a man is chatting me up and I'm not in I totally don't don't fancy fancy him him, it's exactly the same as if a woman is chatting me up I think if anybody chats me up it makes me feel good about myself (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's because not many people once you've got away from the immediate situation there are definitely some women what I've what I've think I think it's interesting and I haven't spoken to a lot of people about this having had I haven't found that a lot of people have the same experience, but I could definitely put all the women, if I, if I was straight, I could definitely say which women and girls I've met that I would have got it on with, and which I wouldn't. Okay. Like, I could definitely pick my sexual partners out of the girls that I've met, and those that wouldn't be. I definitely know. How, how, I mean, how... how can't, can't really elaborate on that, but I think it's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I've never really... Mm. I mean, maybe I... Actually, maybe I have a similar thing. Um, I get this sort of connection with a person. I think I do have, that, a, I have a similar thing. That but it's very similar to getting a connection with someone who you find is sexually compatible. I think I have that experience, but, you know, with men, mm. rather than, yeah. you know, because I'm straight. Uh, I think maybe that's why a lot of men actually get quite who aren't necessarily homophobic or anything, but they do have a reaction against any suggestion of anything going on. And it's because they actually recognise something in themselves, maybe that same feeling that I'm describing in reverse, and they recognise that in themselves and they're scared of it. I think uh, it's it's an interesting thing. I think sometimes men are a little bit jealous of homosexuals as well. In that Mm. they think, oh yeah, lots of sex all the time, but that sort of still repel. Well, I know I feel that way. I'm, I always say because when you told me that you were gay, I had guessed beforehand. But we were with our mutual friend George, and he was surprised. But he wasn't repelled or anything. But he was surprised. And I remember then sort of talking to you about six feet under sort of style oh, yeah. gay image yeah. that I've that six feet under I remember, portrays. I think I said that six feet under is very good actually for for being how it is or it, well emotionally how it is yeah because he was that character was uh, he wasn't really out it was like slightly out but not very out yeah that's yeah. right and, and that was that sort of matched how I felt when I was uh, younger yeah. well it's a whole uh, the whole thing that sort of I don't know I mean I don't think that arguments are very often solved by straight couples by uh, kind of having sex afterwards I think that everyone all the men want that to happen but that is not how women tend to feel and uh, I think that that's not the case necessarily for gay people and I, that's something I kind of envy a little bit but that's maybe just taught to me by six feet under and not necessarily true I think that might be the case yeah, yeah? Mm. that's a shame I, still, I thought at least there were some people I out can't there. really I can't really say I don't know I've got no experience <laughs> on the other side but I very much doubt it's that thing is different about making up after an argument by having sex. Nothing's very universal. I mean, Mm. that's the thing. I mean, when I think of my gay friends, they're not, they are conventionally gay in some ways, but they're not in other ways. For example, I mean, would you describe yourself as a reserved person? Yes, I would, yeah. Yeah, and then, but a lot of gay people in people's minds are very flamboyant. Mm. I mean, I remember when I'd, 
only known you for a little while, <laughs> saying goodbye to you, you, you know, you shook my hand, very definite, like you were going for the, we're not going to hug, we're going to shake. And I'm, I was, I appreciated that because I don't like this hugging business. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I don't I like a it, I feel now uncomfortable with, with it. my friends, uh, <laughs> who like my, my best friends who still offer me handshakes. Uh, no, I go in for the hug. You go in for the hug now. Yeah, it's. I think these days uh, handshake is out of place between best friends. It's definitely. The, well, I hug all my close friends. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I think I'd hug you now. Yeah. I'd, I would gauge the mood and then go for a hug or handshake. Depends who else was around. Yeah. Okay. I I have the same difficulty with my gay friends and with James's gay friends, my partner James, for the listeners who are more. F- what we were just saying flamboyant it's not the word I would use but so they go for a kiss double kiss yeah whatever so I'm more comfortable just a little hug maybe a single kiss yeah and, uh, yeah I mean it's, it's exactly the same thing just the next level up what word would you use if you were instead use of flamboyant, flamboyant yeah uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> no I, don't, I, really I didn't don't want know. to say camp so yeah. I tried to find a different thing that can because I know I've known flamboyant straight men yeah and I've known flamboyant straight well, women well no, I mean everyone would know what you mean if you say either flamboyant or camp so I don't think there's anything I don't know camp, camp really always seems a little that. bit kind of I don't know it's got bad connotations for me but well straight men can be camp too definitely. that's very true yeah. I'm often accused of it <laughs> yeah. in fact a lot, of, a lot of the time people have mistaken me for gay mm. over the years do you think that's a reasonable mistake for people to make I uh, yes, but I don't mean that. Uh, <laughs> I don't take it badly. You know, I, 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 I would I take it badly? I don't think I'm very camper flamboyant, so I don't. Well, no, that's why nobody yeah. thought that you were gay. Yeah, I've just got quite good gaydar. I think I found over the years that well, mm. the the couple of people I've thought were gay have, have turned out to be gay. But maybe I, there's loads of other people I think are going to be gay, and then they're not gay. So I, you only notice your successes, don't you? Yeah. And I think there's still people that feel they can't come out at all and might come out when they're 16. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone like that, but I've heard stories. Now, I mean, I didn't really want to kind of go into the gay thing too much because I don't really want to define my guests by their sexuality. But I think... Are you getting married? Yes. Ah, (laughs) nice. (laughs) We were talking earlier was on. Was that just a random guess? Or no, no, no. Earlier on, we were talking beforehand, and you were like, "There are things that there. Are, I've got some news, but I'll leave that for the podcast. Uh, you have to ask the I right really question." I really like the way you did that. You didn't dance around. You just went straight across. Yeah, yeah well, I thought you know, there's no being about the bush. So you're getting married. Well, congratulations. Thank That's you. the first time I've, <laughs> I've, I've learned on a podcast that some people were married, and now I've learned that somebody's getting married. That's nice. Yep, I'm engaged. Wonderful. Who proposed? I did. Wow, you did it. Yeah. Okay. Um, why did you decide to get married? Uh, because we've been together, I think it's going to be either nine or ten years next uh, January. And it's. it seems... Uh, I'm not a... It seems the right thing to do. And I want to. I mean... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no I other reason I, to get married. Yeah, I, I want to be able to say this is my husband and um, for people to understand that we're together. And change, you know, that, and change that bloody together, single thing dating. on the forms as well. It's annoying yeah. that. Yeah. Because, I mean, and, as um, someone who's not getting married... Yeah, when they, have, when they have this thing, are you single, married, or yeah. uh, is your partner dead? Yeah, it's like yeah. those are really bad options if there's, there's no in-between there. I, d- I definitely would like there to yeah. be a, a long-term relationship. Yeah box yeah. because we're not getting married but we're so, not we don't feel like we're single yeah me and my girlfriend yeah i could to be honest i could easily just stay with a long-term relationship but there's lots of i see lots of reasons why on balance it's better to get married so when you got engaged was it did you do a big romantic gesture fairly we james had made it clear ages ago because he's a divorce lawyer yeah, fam- <laughs> family lawyer is his preferred yeah and um, so he made it clear a long time ago that it was inappropriate for him to ask me so why is it inappropriate for him to ask you because he's a devo- what? Be- uh, I don't quite understand yeah it's complicated but to him it made sense and I see I see that now because uh, if we ever got married and then split up and had to get divorced and if he had been the one that had asked there would be a lot of bias in the courts 
either towards or against him because he knew what the he, he knew all he the, knew law. the legal ah, okay. aspect of what it means to get married. He knew what it was, uh, what it meant legally, and there's quite a big deal legally the difference between marrying somebody and not marrying somebody yeah. and being a long-term relationship. So he thought it was inappropriate for him to ask, and he he mentioned that a long time ago to me. And then recently he was saying, uh, in conversation with other people, when I was within earshot, he would say, uh, oh. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's. I think Henry should ask, but if he doesn't get around to it soon, I might uh, pop the question. And in my head, of course, I was like, Abs- that's absolutely not happening. I want to be the one that asks. Okay. <laughs> Why did you want to be the one who asks? Because uh, that makes him the girl. Yeah, I was, yeah. well, I guess it does, Clearly. yeah. That's the main reason. Um, <laughs> um, Although I think more girls should ask. I think that's a healthy thing. I think thing more too. girls should ask. Because they, they might not want to be the girl. Yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, that's a completely different question, though. Um, oh, yeah, you wanted to be the, the yeah, guy. Yeah. With us, uh, not, yeah, I mean, not so much just being the guy, but um, <laughs> being the one that asked, I knew it was something that I could do and I, I wanted to do. You know? And you did so, it in a yeah. nice way, yeah? Yeah. Because I knew, I think, I, I think the thing is that I knew that it meant more to him than it did to me in a way. So I wanted to be the one that asked. And in that way, that is quite traditional. That's what <clears throat> when when men ask, it it's very moving because they've had to come up further often, st- stereotypically. Yes. They've had to come further right, to that yeah. point. Yeah. How did you do it? I had noticed that the last few times we had been away for a weekend, you know, here, there, and anywhere, it had sort of popped into my head when we had been in a particularly nice place at a nice time or something, and. I was starting to find that a little bit annoying and thought I'm not going to really be able to enjoy our holidays until I actually get this out of the way. I thought about it a bit and decided not to plan it. I don't want to like, you know, ask the waiter to bring it over with the <laughs> with the yeah, spaghetti yeah. or whatever. That would be um, weird. So I just thought the plan is to seize the next moment it comes up and then we were off just like driving around the south coast. We've got a sort of uh, dream to to buy a second house in the country at some point maybe five or ten years from now but we've been talking about this and thought actually uh, we need to start thinking about it properly like seriously yeah. so we were actually it was basically a, uh, a survey trip or a recce to find, <laughs> to find areas that we thought we might be able to buy a second house in and uh, I was very keen on getting somewhere on the south coast because we live in southeast London and it's just easier to get in that yeah, direction yeah. on a Friday evening for the weekend and I was trying to persuade James that we didn't have to go to the Cotswolds or Wales or the Highlands of Scotland because if we did do that we'd only go there twice a year and it would be a bit of a waste of money. So we were on a weekend, he was kind of humouring me driving around the south coast and we ended up at Beachy Head, <laughs> <laughs> yes the famous suicide spot at about six in the evening and um, it was a beautiful day in well, it was quite recent end of June probably I can't remember the date I should figure out what You'll the date was yeah. That out. Yeah. and we walked up Beachy Head I'd never been there and he'd never been there either and uh, it's the tallest cliff in mainland UK I think and it's a white cliff like the white cliffs of Dover and it's stunningly beautiful and it was this magical summer evening where the sun was going down and it was really windy as well which apparently it always is there and there was nobody else about, so we had the whole place to ourselves. And it's a massive cliff top with a beautiful view both out to the sea and inland. Perfect. There's nothing ugly inland either, it's just all like rolling hills and stuff. And a valley and a, a lighthouse up at the top. And we walked all the way up to the lighthouse and it popped into my head again. Because I wasn't planning it when we got there. And then on the way back down... We were sort of walking back down, and I, James was wittering on about because uh, the wind was so strong and the cliff was there, and we had talked about it being a suicide spot. And we were quite far away from the actual edge, like 50 feet, and in between us and the edge was a gorse like bush and everything. And he was saying, Could you even close your eyes and run towards the cliff, like for 10 steps with your eyes shut all the way? And we were talking about this, and uh, I, I said, Shh, 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 shh. <laughs> look, look, uh, just talking about 
making plans, are you like buying a, a second house and everything? Talking about making plans and jumping off cliffs, uh, will you marry me? Oh, nice. That's a good yeah. line. And uh, and he just went completely. He was he was gobsmacked. He was uh, speechless. <laughs> really nice and uh, eventually he said yes I guess well he didn't say anything and then I had to say <laughs> so is it yes and then he said yes oh no nice. uh, yeah and so he, we and then we hugged and uh, so he didn't I have think a we ring. both we both welled up with tears but oh, neither no. of us cried oh, well, difference. very British yeah or Londonish yeah what, when you said <laughs> when you said that you were a Londoner that's how you felt what did you mean well, I am. I've always lived in London. Yeah, but why? You um, said you'd get to it later. Yeah. Well, no. Instead of defi- I think uh, some people uh, def- would define me as a public school boy. I've always felt that because I am a public school boy as well, and because I went to a famous one. Um, which was that? Which was Harrow. Harrow. Yeah. A lot of cabinet ministers probably went there. Probably. Eaton or Harrow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's only Eton if you went to Eton. It's Eton or Harrow if you went to Harrow, and it's Eton, Harrow, or Westminster if you went to Westminster. Oh, I see. <laughs> and the list goes on, but yeah. Um, so for me, there were only two real uh, top private schools, and I was at the second one. <laughs> and do you, you, you feel that people define you as being from a public school? No, not anymore, but I do feel it's a big part of who I am. And did you- but I prefer to... Yeah, I mean, it's not... I don't feel I need to define myself anyway in particular, but I would, like, at the start of this conversation, I said, yeah, I'm a Londoner. It's, it's more how I feel. Yeah, I mean, everyone who lives in London becomes... Yeah, I, I mean, people have the wrong idea about people city. who go to Harrow. It's it's not... Not everyone who goes there is massively wealthy. In fact, most of them aren't. Most of their parents are really struggling and, uh, you know, have to cut out holidays for the entire seven years that they send their son there. And were your parents those kind of parents? Not in the first year <laughs> but that was 1992 and then there was this big recession uh, right. the Black Wednesday recession which uh, my dad was caught up in and uh, from then on yeah we were and I didn't end up I, I uh, no my, my dad didn't have to pay for my final year because I got a scholarship no I mean I, I was an art scholar going in to the tune of £100 a year wow and how much does it cost yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. I th- it's either 4000 a term or 4000 a year. It's probably 4000 a term. So £100 off that isn't very much. No, and no. I got stopped in the street once while I was at school, in my school uniform, just walking down the street by a woman who came up to me and demanded to know how much my parents were paying to really? put me through yeah, per year. See, that's and I didn't know at that time. And I think that's very unreasonable. I think that's and really I, out of order. You know, I, I, I was certainly aware that I was extremely privileged to go to school like that and that my parents were paying a lot of money and that £100 a year I knew it was £100 a year at that time I knew that didn't go very far to getting any money off it You play the flute did you learn that in boarding school? I started learning before I went to Harrow yeah and was flute your first instrument? Yeah I, I actually learned a recorder for a couple of weeks I went to a flute lesson and uh, he said that I didn't have the right, I wasn't, my embouchure wasn't developed or something because I hadn't grown up, I was about nine years old, and he said I'd better start on recorder, so I did that for a couple of weeks and I hated it, so I just gave up, and I think a year later, or two years later, I came back and just said I'm not doing recorder first, I want to do flute, so I got a flute and did that. And what's embouchure, you said, was that? The shape of your lips, and the way that your mouth dictates that yeah it's weird you have to pour this a lot more than you think you have to I'm pouring from a carafe and it's kind of I don't know it's like Hieronymus Bosch painting or something it doesn't work according to the laws of physics there's something else you need to know about me I'm a big fan of decanting decanting yeah why I think it really improves the taste well that's uh, you know I think I'd say 50% better I, it's certainly going down well, and but then at, I would expect that shit. I would expect wine. Yeah, that's true. The There's there. a load of shit at the yeah. back, of the bottom of the the Which You're not going to drink. Won't that's true. I'm, you're you're absolutely right. Although I would expect wine that you supplied to be, to go down very nicely. This is a special 
bottle because yeah. I'm being interviewed. That's nice. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased and, 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 and uh, grateful, really, for the wine. There's a story behind it which I could tell you if you want. Go on, then. It's not a very good story, though. Well, <laughs> try it and see. Um, we have to go back to what we were talking about before. Okay. But, um, so I got persuaded uh, to join the Virgin Wine Club somebody right. I don't like Virgin generally as a brand but there aren't any other I didn't know of any other good wine clubs and it does make sense because we drink quite a lot of wine here and um, it can be quite expensive and you can pay eight quid in the local corner shop is almost the cheapest bottle because there's a four quid but that is vinegar and then it jumps to eight quid and then it's between eight and fifteen and they're all shit so I just wanted to, like one year I decided I just had enough of drinking totally shit wine. And I do appreciate good wine. <laughs> my dad, uh, my parents live in France, and my dad has had access to a lot of good wine over the years, but has ended up deciding that he likes Van de Table, like French plonk, basically. Stuff, yeah, yeah, he just doesn't, uh, at the end of the day, he doesn't see the point in paying for expensive wine. He just and wants the kind I, of effect. Yeah, I disagree. I really, like, <laughs> I really like this one. I cut, uh, slightly rambling here, but the point of the story was this wine was one of Virgin Wines, and this is like a whole website thing, they send you emails where yep. they sell their wines. And once a year they do a big sale. And in the sale this year, they do a, every day for a week, they have a different offer in the sale. And they send you an email every day of the week describing what's on sale that day. And uh, on the last day, I'm very anti this sort of promotion. Like, it, if somebody sells me an email promoting something, I'm less likely to buy it rather than more likely. But this was such. I always read the emails though. Out of interest. <laughs> really? So maybe that doesn't add up. Um, you know, there might be a, a gap somewhere here. But um, this one sold this particular wine so hard, and it said, uh, so there's this. You might have heard of Robert Parker, the most famous wine critic in the world, American. And he basically sets the prices of wines from France uh, and all over the world. And he likes this particular style of Bordeaux wine, and he scores on the 100-point scale. And anything over above 90 is worth a wine shop putting on the shelf in front of the wine to say, Robert Parker says this is 93 points or whatever. And there was a wine, same year from this, which is... 92 or something and he said uh, this is like a 91 out of 100 which is a good score and that was one of the major big expensive Bordeaux houses which you would pay about a thousand pounds a bottle for and uh, and then so this whole point of this email from Virgin Wines was that this wine is a Spanish wine in the Bordeaux style and Robert Parker rated it 92 better than the 91 for this thousand pound bottle and you can get this for £7.50 a bottle. £7.50? Yeah. So it's sort of uh, more than a hundred times better value. So you, I know it's better. So, you, <laughs> so, so I, you know, you, I thought... Uh, you believed the hype? I believed... The, no, I didn't believe the hype. I wanted to check if the hype was true. Okay. Which I think uh, uh, that sort of claim... You know, it's either this is, either this is uh, a, quite a good claim or I'm quitting this Virgin Wine Club. Okay, so it's a test. Yeah, it's a has test. It, has it yeah. passed the test? I think it passed the test, yeah. Ooh. And I have to say, I, I might have said it was 92, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm a lot older than I think I am. It's actually... I don't know. What, what the year, year now? What, what oh, the year. year I know now. the year 2012, now. 20, it would have been 2002, really. not 92. <clears> okay, well, we're in 2011. I know Let's that. put the record That's straight. That's all I can know. Yeah, yeah for all of you and wine I think, I think it's very nice. Well, I can recommend it. It's very nice. So we're drinking wine on a balcony in the middle of the city of London, and you were going to go back to what you were talking about before. Yeah. Was it boarding school? We were talking about... Yeah, we were talking about boarding school and we were talking about that terrible behaviour of that woman. Uh, I mean... What woman? The woman who spoke to you in the street. That's what I remembered. Oh, yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, do you do you have some sympathy? I've also randomly, somebody once walked up to me. It was on the King's Road and I was out with a friend of mine from Harrow and we were in our last year, which was probably... I don't remember what I was wearing, but it was probably a um, like a blazer type jacket, but not a blazer. Yeah. 
No, I mean just a jacket. Just a like jacket. A smart, like a, a smart jacket. A, quite a smart jacket with jeans and a shirt. Okay. So, you know that sort of look? Yeah, right? I do. Um, preppy, I think yeah, you call it. Preppy, perhaps. <laughs> but slightly flamboyantly preppy. Okay. Um, and this random, on the King's Road in Chelsea, this random woman, who I'd definitely never seen before, just walked across the street. I mean, she was crossing the street and then she got to the pavement and she looked really upset and she punched me and what? just walked off. She punched you? Yeah, and... You don't know why? Don't know why, no. Well, I don't think that that would have been because you were at a boarding school, though, because no, she wouldn't have known that, would she? I no, so. no. I mean, I don't know whether she'd been following me and my friend and maybe we'd been talking about something ridiculous. Very likely. So do you find you get a lot of negative reactions to the fact that you went to boarding school? No, just... Just, just, just that one mainly <laughs> and do you, do you do you understand why people have issues with people who went to Harrow or definitely Eton? I have issues with people who went to Harrow yeah. well that is <laughs> well the same issues that everyone else has the, the, they born with a silver spoon in your mouth you know it's, it's not fair it's uh, they they don't live in the same world as the rest of us it's um, yeah but that's not most of them it's actually very few people well that's the thing I, I, I mean it's always the minority that, that get kind of the attention the, the attention yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean it, it's the same It's the same. it really is the same with everything it's the same with left wing people Yeah. it's the same with poor people it's the same with gay people it's the same mm. with everybody I wouldn't I wouldn't change the experience I had that for anything it's fantastic being at that school with so many people who it's a it's definitely a really good Education, and I was there with lots of people who have, or probably are going to go on to big things, and it's nice to. You know, know. I know what we were talking about. Almost guaranteed. We were actually talking about the flu. Oh yeah. We were talking about how you developed. Although I'm, I'm quite glad for the extra. Glad bit of the detail. Of, uh, it's a good story about the wine, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> one point more on the Robert Parker scale. I think that's an interesting story. I think it's quite good that <clears throat> we've had somebody going on about different wines. In George's when we had someone going on about different uh, junk food, although he didn't like that expression, so I shouldn't really say junk food, but that no. is what it is. Mm. So you were attracted to the flu, or did you just have that decision made for you? Um, no, it was an obvious decision because my grandfather who died before I was born, uh, played the flute professionally. In the, the the BBC something orchestra. I don't know if it was a philharmonic or... I, I don't even know what that and, means. But, and you wanted um, to follow in his footsteps? Yes. Yeah, because I never met him, it was like something... And, the, you know, I was nine years old when I was choosing this, so... But, you know, now I'd probably choose the same thing, yeah. And flute was the first instrument you learned, and then you, you also know guitar. A long time later, I, well, when I was about 14, I bought a guitar, and then when I was about 20, I started learning it properly, and then when I was about 28, I actually took some lessons, and that's when I actually got reasonably good at playing it, until then I could just drum, yeah. And was that, that was before Apples for Everyone you had the lessons? Or was um, that during? Because I'm trying I to think work. it started. So you're not that much older than me. I think it started just before. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 28 was a guess, but that was roughly right. And, I mean, you play as a hobby? I would hardly even say that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't say that I've played in the last six months, probably. I know, it's bad, it's bad. Just because Apple's for everyone's um, broken up doesn't I would mean everyone definitely stop play music. more. I'm very self-conscious about my musical ability because I don't think I'm in any way a natural musician. I think I'm the sort of person that has just tried a lot, practiced a lot, and has therefore can do it um, in to any extent that I can do it. But I feel like I've got literally zero natural musical ability. <laughs> But I, I wonder, I always felt like I was naturally quite artistic yeah. with drawing and stuff. So I do wonder if at a young age, if I'd made a different decision like to be musical, I think 
I'm a big believer that anyone can do anything if they have the right situation and they start at the right time. I'm not a big believer in natural ability. No, which I, I, I believe what you mean. I believe is backed up by research. May very well be. I don't know. Yeah. Well, on me, on musicians. You've always been a big believer in me not just accepting that I've got yeah. a certain level yeah. of ability. You yeah. were always the person in the band pushing me to learn stuff that is hard to do, like bar well, chords. People generally, and yourself in specific, are very love to set their own limits and stick to them. No, I mean I'm just lazy. I mean, I like if I can do stuff without learning that extra stuff, then I'll do it. If I if if, yeah. if if it's essential for me to learn that other thing, then I'll learn it. Near the end of the band, it seemed like it was going to be essential, but then the band split up, so I haven't I haven't studied any of your teachings because you taught me. <laughs> I haven't studied any of your teachings since then, but I sort of understand the theory that you said to a certain extent. It probably will help me in in the future. Yeah. I mean, what I'm interested. But that was in, enough for you to see that you, it's not a natural talent that make somebody able to do that or not do that well I think some people naturally yeah but na- some people naturally have that information already available to them or very close to the surface and other people have to try really hard mm-hmm. so I do I do agree with you that people can learn stuff that they're not naturally they don't have naturally at their fingertips but I do think that there are some people who are born with more ability yeah. in say art or music or acting or whatever yeah I don't I don't think that Mozart was uh only Mozart because he practiced. Yeah, he was Mozart. But I think for the rest of us, what you do is what you are, what you become. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a. Uh... And actually, the the flip side of that is that I've always thought of myself as a as, as an artist, particularly at school. And at school, I was uh, in some ways a minor celebrity. You know how you are at school. Yeah, yeah. I was the senior. Years. I was the writer. Yeah, so you were probably the artist. There's the rugby yeah. player, there's yeah. the footballer, the cricketer, the artist, yeah. the musician. The writer. Yeah. yeah, so I was the artist at school. And um, since having left school, I've always thought, actually, it's probably just because that's what I spent my whole time doing. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I think there were lots of other people who, if they'd spent that long in the art schools, drawing stuff would have been as, as good as I was at that No, age. I've come to think now about writing as yeah. well. Yeah, and I think once you get onto the world stage and uh. you're looking for a job and everything, that's when your real talent shines through. But I think to do, to do anything to a real top level, you can learn how to do it. And then the level above the real top level, you know, the level that people get paid unreasonable amounts of money for, yeah. you have to have talent for, or you have to just know somebody. <laughs> One or the other. It's very unfair. And so I guess in a way, having come from Harrow, do you know more people? No... But yes, but nobody that's um, useful to you directly. I've I've never got anywhere in my business through having school connections. Well, that's a, a good thing, I guess. Which is, I think, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, well, it certainly goes with your. But I still, I still hope one day to come across someone who did go to Harrow and wants to offer me some massive job on something. I wouldn't say no. What would your massive job be? I mean, what? I mean, oh, like, where's the ambition? the end ambition of being in CGI I mean when does that end uh, not the end ambition but I'd like to win an Oscar for with my name on it for CGI or for being in charge for of a visual CGI effects. Unit? so you'd be the, in charge of a visual effects unit yeah and well, well I hope one day that you will I'd like to see you winning an Oscar they wouldn't show you though because you'd be one of the ones that they would skip wouldn't they because <laughs> you wouldn't have the, <laughs> the big the big uh, yeah, that's probably right. exposure of uh, mm. the actors but I hope one day to be able to watch a scrolling thing down mm. about who won the Oscars and be able to go that's Henry it's not just <laughs> that I mean there are some films that come out that are genuinely groundbreaking and for whatever reason don't win the Oscar but uh, that would also do if if everyone in the industry knew that that was a groundbreaking film so you want to do something great like be involved in something great. But the problem is, you know, great VFX don't equate to a great film. And great films tend to win Oscars for, you know, lots of other stuff. So you can do great effects without... Yeah, it's, it's, it's political. But do you want to... Your end, kind of, this Oscar thing, do you want you want to win it for a film that's overall great, or do you want to win it for a film which is has great special effects? Yeah, that's a very good distinction, and 
So this is the first time I've actually thought about an overall film, overall which makes film. it much harder. Hard. That's a really yeah. high ambition. Yeah. Um, that's a yeah. That's a very high yeah. ambition, but, but it's not. I mean, winning an Oscar would be fantastic, and that is the natural. Well, not natural, but that is the highest award you can get in my field. But I would also just like to work on some 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 film or films that are considered uh, landmark visual effects films. Well, I hope. Uh, Which is totally. It's doable. doable. It's doable yeah. for you. You're Definitely. you're certainly a person Definitely. who can achieve their ambitions. Yeah. Um, which is nice to, to know. Most people you think they might be able to, they might not, whereas you, it's certainly doable. So at this point in the interview, I ask people, do they have anything they want to plug? And you can interpret that in any way you like. I would plug uh, our current movie, The Iron Lady, the biopic of Margaret Thatcher. Right, wow. Is that, that's, uh, Glenn, is it, who's it, Glenn, is it Glenn Close? No, it's the other one. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Yeah. I always get them and confused. Directed by... Um, I don't actually know, I know, I think I know her first name, Philida something. She's the director, uh, big, one of the biggest female directors in Hollywood. She directed Mamma Mia. This is her next project. From Mamma Mia the Musical to a political biography of Margaret Thatcher. Quite a big jump. Same, same lead though. Same lead, yeah. But amazingly mind-warping jump of genres. Definitely. And um, I saw an early cut of it and it was fantastic. Okay, well that's a... <clears throat> a great thing to plug and I would like to plug it because if it happens to win best performance for Meryl Streep or if it happens to win best makeup and uh, whatever that category is I think we deserve some credit <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say anything more than that fair enough <laughs> and we'll leave it at that on that bombshell it's been a, a pleasure getting better acquainted with you Henry you haven't uh... I haven't what do you remember what I said downstairs? You got you got some more, some more questions. You oh, about got, news. Yeah, do you remember that I said? You said I have to ask things. the right question. Yeah. I knew there were two, but I didn't I didn't know how to get the other thing. And this ties into something that I want to plug. Oh God! Well, I've got to ask a question, and I don't know what area it is, but it's something you, you want to plug. Mm. Something you want to plug. Well, that means it's probably creative. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you haven't got a new band though because I asked you no. that off mic no. um, you've got a new creative venture no no, no. how do I no. phrase how am I going to get the answer you um, might not actually what is your other piece you of big news like Henry <laughs> that's a good question yeah. well I've been nominated for an Emmy Award. Oh, wow. Which is a lot like an Oscar Award, but for TV instead. Yeah, of yeah, film. yeah. I know what the Emmys mm. are. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, for Game of Thrones, which is super exciting. That's amazing. And, um, super unexpected. And it is amazing because it's not... Um, is it what, you individually or your whole or your mm. unit? You're, you individually? My There's eight people on the nomination. And what's the Emmy? Because it's done... You only get to put individuals on it, you don't get to put companies. And obviously, for us, it's a company effort. It should be the company, but that's not the way the nominations work. They have a maximum of it's either eight or nine individual names per award. And You're I'm, on I'm it. one of them for the, for the special and visual effects for Game of Thrones. Well, congratulations twice in um, one interview, and one conversation. So, yeah, there's, there's five people from my company that are also individually on that award. There's two special effects people and there's the overall uh, visual effects supervisor who's a lovely guy and uh, we're, we're all flying to LA in September. Oh Jesus, wow. It's, it's mega exciting. You, that's the other thing. Like, for a weekend, like, flying to LA for a weekend. That's what I think is great about your job, you're always going to exciting places. Like no, you were, well, I'm well you were, you, I am now. you, you yeah. stayed in, you lived in uh, Canada for a few months. That's exciting. I'd love to have lived there. I wish I could talk, talk more about your travels, but unfortunately our time has come to an end. So it's been a great, it has been a pleasure getting better acquainted and I'm sorry that I missed the other area until the end. Double congratulations. Would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Oh, you'll probably just cut that bit out. <laughs> what bit? Didn't fit into the flow. No, I'll, I'll, mm. I'll probably leave it in, I should think. But anyway, would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Bye audience. <laughs> goodbye. 
conversation that you've just heard was recorded around about a year ago. I'm sorry to say that on this occasion, Henry and his colleagues didn't win the Emmy for their work on Game of Thrones, but there's always the future. And anyway, a nomination is a really great success. The Iron Lady, I believe, is coming out on DVD around about now, so Henry's plug is available to you in good stores or bad stores or from pirates if you want to be illegal. Not that I condone that at all. And it's my great pleasure to say that Henry and James are getting married in June and that I'm shortly to be going to their marriage sort of celebration that they're holding in London because I think they're, they're going away and getting married on their own and then they're having a party back here and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've even borrowed a tuxedo so that I can fit the dress code. Hopefully the tuxedo will fit me. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Okay. It's recording now. Can you hear me munching? Yeah, but that's okay. That's... I think they call it verity, I think. The sound of reality happening. So today we're getting better acquainted. Oh, today... Oh. <laughs> You're getting better acquainted with that tree, aren't you? I uh, am a little Should bit. Should we come this way just a little bit? Uh, that's possibly a good idea.